Welcome to the Embassy City Podcast. Today is week six of the Make Room series. If it's your first time listening, you can listen to past weeks on this podcast or watch it on youtube.com forward slash Embassy City Church. Good morning, Embassy City Church. How are you this morning? Woo, you look good. You don't sound as good as you look. Maybe you could bring it up. How you doing this morning, Embassy City? Well, um, I am honored to be here. If it's your first time, I am not the pastor. Um, our senior pastor, Tim, we are very honored to call him our, our pastor, but we are also honored to release him um, to do what he's called to do, which is what he's doing this morning. And so it is with joy and gladness that we send him um, to bless the people where he is this morning. And we come here just ready to hear from whoever because we know that it is God's word and God's word alone that is the word that we need. And so um, I miss Tim too. And I'm so thankful and I honor them today. I'm thankful that he trusts me. Um, But this morning I I come today uh, with a picture of Jesus on the front row. Oftentimes when I preach, I, I imagine Jesus. And when you don't give me the amens that I want, I just look for him. And sometimes you give me the amens that I don't need. And I look for him and he's like. And so today I come with a picture of Jesus and I want to paint that same picture for you today. I'm gonna continue our series called Make Room, but the title of my message today is simply this, has anyone seen Jesus? Has anyone seen Jesus? So my daughter um, is four years old and she has a lot of questions. She's four going on 14. She has a lot of questions, a lot of them I'm not really prepared to answer, but I'm trying to give her the answers now and not dumb it down so that, God forbid, if anything happens to me, I wanna teach her stuff like Jesus did with his disciples that she might hear now and understand later. So I try to give her the real deal answers. Um, She's been asking a lot about life, death, and everything in between. And the other night after dinner, I was cleaning up, minding my own business, and um, doing some dishes, and Daddy was still sitting at the dinner table with her. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, she says, this is a month or so ago, she says, wait, but we're not gonna die, are we? And I'm, he's sitting right next to her, and I take about half a second for me to realize that he's playing dead. Like, if I don't blink, I don't have to answer this question. She's like, we're not gonna die, are we? And immediately something just came in into my spirit and out of my soul. And I said, of course we're gonna die. We all get to die one day. We don't have to live here forever. We all get to die one day, baby. Just, we don't get to decide when, but all I know is when we get there, it's so much better than it is here. And it's so much better for so many reasons. And I was telling her about how there's, there's no sadness and there's no pain and there's no sickness. And then I said, but most of all, when we get to heaven, we get to see Jesus. And we get to thank him to his face rather than in our prayers and in our heart. And since that moment, I have not been able to just stop thinking about Jesus. I've picked up the scriptures and it's like the Holy Spirit has leaned over my shoulder and I've realized how often that I look in this book and I see so many characters and Jesus starts to blend in and he's just another face in the crowd. And it's like, you know, when you have an iPhone and you take a picture and it's kind of blurry and what do you do? You tap the screen 
to make it clarify in Zoom. And I felt like as I've been reading the scriptures, the Holy Spirit has leaned over my shoulder and placed his finger on the screen. And all of a sudden, everyone else has become blurry. And it's like I have seen Jesus again for the very first time. I have seen Jesus in all of his glory. And so today, I didn't come to, to preach a sermon. I came to paint a picture of Jesus and remind you of who he is and ask you, when is the last time has anyone really seen Jesus lately? And we're going to pick up exactly where we left off yes, last week in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 and 8. And we're gonna go, I'm going to read a few scriptures that are the bookends of Jesus' life, the beginning and the end. And then we're going to work all the way in between. I'm going to start right where we left off. Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born. Can you imagine God being born? The humiliation. If you were not truly humble, you would be humiliated to be born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Isaiah 52, 14 says, but many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know that he was a man. <laughs> Can you imagine we always talk about the sacrifice of the cross, but have you ever thought before last week when Tim started to dive into it, have you ever thought about the sacrifice he made just to come here? I mean, how humbling it was to be sitting and clothed in glory and decide that you would wrap yourself in the filth of skin, that you would come and after all of you've ever known is being able to be all times everywhere, anywhere you wanted to be, hear everybody's prayers at the same time, be everywhere you wanted to be at everything and now you have to come to a place where you have to decide every day where you want to be and you have to pick a place. Have you thought of the sacrifice and the humility like Tim said of coming and being held in the arms of a woman that you created and, and, and traveling through a womb that you formed and, and traveling traveling through the woman who's, who you formed in her mother's womb. Have you thought about the humility, the, 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 the humility and the sacrifice of Jesus, the water walker, just wobbling his way to his first steps? And they're like, oh, come on, one more Jesus, one more Jesus. On the earth you made, and you're making these footsteps, and someone's babbling to you, and you created language, and they're trying to teach you how to speak. Can you imagine how humbling it is to have to feel the ache of hunger when you are the bread of life. Can you imagine, can you imagine the humility of being a thirsty fountain? Can you imagine? And all by the time he made his first cry, he had humbled himself to the point that if he were not fully God, he would be fully humiliated. But the Bible says he didn't even feel robbed. He thought it's not robbery. And there he came, and if glory was a garment, <laughs> he sat in heaven with his father who was about to send him on an errand and sat on his throne 
And his father said, I have a favor. Would you go on an errand? And he stood up from his throne. And if glory was a garment, he took it off and he threw it on the place where he sat and said, I don't need to wear this to know who I am. And though he was high, he came in low and he decided that he would leave one day just like he came. Disfigured to the point he did not even look like a man. He came in low, decided to leave. Just like he came, naked he came into this world, and naked he hung on his way out. And in between, there are three decades, 30 years, where there is almost not even a whisper. How humbling, after that grand entrance, after all that you've shown, 30 years, after spending not one moment of your life or your existence, without worship in your ear and people telling you how holy you are and how worthy you are. For 30 years, you got to remember who you are and no one will tell you. And not one word of worship and not one holy, holy Jesus. And you got to walk through your life regular, the carpenter's son. Nobody knows who you are. You're not special and for 30 years, we see almost nothing of Jesus. It is total obscurity. No worship, no honor, and we see two small appearances from Jesus before he's a grown-up. One is in a temple in Jerusalem. He's not from Jerusalem, but both times we see him in his childhood is in Jerusalem. One is at his dedication, and it's a real quick little peek that the book of Luke uh, gives us. And the second one is also in Jerusalem. Now, this is uh, in a place that is in Jerusalem where they're having what's called the festival of the Passover. It is the biggest event. It is this massive thing where everyone comes to Jerusalem to celebrate the festival of the Passover. A place that is usually a very uh, smaller area, about 30,000 people. Everyone would come here and it would swell to at least 120,000, at least. There are some scholars that say it was swelled to two million people. The city would turn absolutely crazy. Everyone's coming from everywhere. They have to get to Jerusalem like a week before for purification. So the whole city is absolute madness and everybody got a lamb. They're bringing their little pet lamb that they're gonna have to sacrifice. So there is chaos everywhere. Everyone's jammed into Jerusalem. They have the big festival of Passover. Mary and Joseph celebrate with Jesus because it's what you do every year. Mary and Joseph go home and realize they lost Jesus. They left Jesus and Mary like, oh my goodness. <laughs> Look, I did all this, I already lost Jesus. And it says, the Bible says it takes them three days to find Jesus. They're on the way back. They realize at some point they've lost him. They go back and she's going everywhere trying to, and she's like, you know what, Jesus, not today. Because you know what, I do not, I don't need that scary angel checking for me again. The first time was bad enough. Where are you at? She's looking for Jesus, and I just have a picture of a mom. Like, I don't think they have photos, maybe a sketch or something. And she's running everywhere. Like, has anyone seen him? Has anyone seen Jesus? Has anyone seen Jesus? Anybody seen him? And, and finally, after a while, she finds him in the temple. And, and we can judge her as much as we want, but the truth is, it's easier to lose Jesus than you might think. And even in the middle of the biggest religious thing, you can be so busy with your church and lose him on the way home. And, and in fact, I fear that to a certain extent, as a church, globally, we have lost Jesus. 
we have lost sight of Jesus. And today, I feel more like Mary, just coming with a picture to say, has anyone seen Jesus? Has anyone seen him? Because we can't continue to do church or life without Jesus. It has to be Jesus, him alone, him first, him last, him in between. And so today, I want us to go back into this book right here. I don't care about a single other person he touches, talks to, looks at, breathes on. I don't care about none of them today. I want to go back and say, show me Jesus, because I need to see his face. So we go from his birth and then he has pretty much 30 years of silence besides when Mary lost him. And then boom, he comes out the gate with the roar. Day one, he begins his ministry. He's inaugurated by the baptism of a man named John, the blessing of a father. His father saying, this is my beloved son whom well pleased and the leading of the Holy Spirit right from that water into a wilderness for a 40 day fast and a face off with the devil himself who he has not seen since the day he saw that joker fall from heaven. Day one, it's not a bad start. And after 30 years, Jesus is ready to check in the game. And so we see him now beginning his earthly ministry. We see him choosing 12 disciples and bypassing all the other ones who have made it into another rabbi's program and finding the guys who couldn't make it into another rabbi's. They weren't qualified, they were rejected, so they had chosen other fields. And he said, you know what, I can work with you because truth is I can train anyone, but can I trust you? That is my biggest question. If I can trust you, I can train you. And so he calls them and for about three years, Jesus has a public ministry and he's traveling, he's teaching, he's preaching, he's healing, he's raising, he's delivering, he's doing all of these things, miracles, signs, and wonders. And during these years, remember the humility. Jesus is the son of man. He is a man. And so 30 years, he has a mother that he loves. He, have, he has places he likes to go. He has things he likes to eat. He has friends. He is spending time day in and day out with his disciples. He loves them. They are, they are not just people that he's using. These are people that he is loving and building with. And, and there are things he has, as a man, natural affinities and, and things that he has learned to love in this life. 30 years and 33 years after all those years of ministry, worth of moments and memories. But all of this has been for one reason, one errand. And towards the end, Jesus knows his time is running out and we see a shift. We see a dramatic shift. You know, when my daughter asked me about what do we die, there was something in me that did not want her to push back or fear death. I didn't like the look on her face when she asked me, we don't have to die, do we don't have to die one day. I didn't like that. But the truth is, we all push back from death a little bit. In fact, you might be shocked to know that in his skin, Jesus did as well. Luke 9, 51 says this, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. This is a reminder of a prophecy we see about Jesus where it says, 
he set his face like flint, determined to do the will of God. He set his face. This is not just putting on a game face, uh, depending on the translation. And if you look in the original, this is a resolutely putting your feet in the ground. He set his face to Jerusalem. He didn't just look there and turn his eyes, but something in him shifted. And he knew this is the final stretch, like a, like a player that plants his feet, ready to take a charge, ready to take the hit. And you dig your feet and because you're like, come on, you can come for me, but I've made up my mind already. My feet are set. And Jesus set his face. He had to set his face because yes, he was fully God, but he was also fully man. And he would, his deity would not numb him from those nails. His deity would not keep him from the pain of every whip. He would feel every bit of torture. And so as the time approached, Jesus did something. He, he resolved. He made not a New Year's resolution. See, there's a difference between a resolution and resolve. A resolution is a thing, a thing that you say you're going to do. But resolve is what makes it happen. And we need more resolve. So Jesus said, I have determined here that I'm going to make it there. I did not sacrifice my glory for to get all this way and not die done. I did not come and do all I've done already to die unfinished. So he sets his face and is here that I want to slow down on his journey now from, from Galilee as he moves south toward Jerusalem. And he is the only one that knows that he is on his way to die. He set his face like flint, which is the steel that you make a knife with. And he has resolved that he is going to make it there. And every step he takes in the back of his mind is his death. And so he knows this, when I leave, I don't get to plant the church of my dreams. Because the reality is the church of my dreams cannot be planted without my shed blood. And so I can't plant the church that I dream until I die. So until I die, so all I can do is plant the seed of that church in these 12 men that are walking with me. I have to plant in them the seed of the church that I want to plant on this earth. And the truth is, he grows to love them. He loves them. He cherishes their friendship. He cherishes that they have left everything to follow him and to come with him. He understands their sacrifice. Again, he is not just using them. So he understands that they've done all this. The truth is, they don't really even understand fully who he is and what he came here to do. They still think that Jesus is going to establish a kingdom on earth and drive out the current kings and that one day it's going to be worth it because they're going to have a corner office in a palace. They think he's going to stage this epic battle and like defeat the king and they have no idea, they have not understood that his kingdom is not of this world. Every moment of every day of his life was leading to this final stretch and putting on skin, 30 years of obscurity, three years of ministry, everything he's faced, it would, none of it would be worth it if he didn't finish the right way. So here he is in Galilee and he's moving towards Jerusalem. And when he gets right towards the border of Jerusalem is where we really want to slow down. It is his final week. And they are going back to Jerusalem for a reason, because this, again, is the festival of Passover. This is the same place over 20 years ago, his mom lost him. And I wonder if Jesus is on his way back, just having these memories and kind of chuckling. It was so funny. She was so mad, yo. I can't believe I did that to her. And he's human. He knows he's on his way to die. She's journeying there as well. I wonder if he had these thoughts like, man, she sacrificed a lot. 
so that I could be here. She's gonna have to watch me die. I'm gonna have to say goodbye and I, I can't wait to get back to heaven, but I'm still sad to go because I love people. I'm a real person. And he's journeying back to Jerusalem and there are very real emotions that he's going through and processing in these his final days because he's a real a person. We are going to see him processing a lot of emotions. So it is Sunday. Jesus will die on Friday. Sunday morning, we know it as the triumphal entry. Now keep in mind, his disciples still think that they're on their way to Jerusalem and it's about to be finally a party. Like they're hype. We're about to go there. We don't know what the game plan is, but when we get there, it is gonna be all, we're gonna kick them out of the kingdom. We're gonna kill them. We're gonna chop some people up. We're gonna, I don't know exactly how Jesus is gonna do this, but boom, it's gonna be ours. And I'm finally gonna have, call my wife and be like, come on, bring the kids. I know you've missed me. I've been on the road. Come on, we're about to have a corner office and I'm gonna have to have my own bodyguard and, and all this. So they're excited. So they stage this big grand entrance into Jerusalem for, um, for Jesus. And they got the crowd and, and everything else. And, and, and they're gonna have this big kingly, entrance, this procession of Jesus going in. And Jesus says, okay, but here's the thing. I'm not taking the limo. Cancel the limo. I want you to get that donkey because I need to dot every prophetic eye and fulfill the prophecy that says I would come in riding on a colt. And so they send for a donkey and, and here comes Jesus. It is this triumphal entry and the crowd is massive. Now, remember I told you there's people everywhere, right? This crowd is the same crowd that was at the tomb when Jesus told Lazarus to come forth. Jesus has performed the great miracle, so in Bethany, he has a huge following now. He is famous. They are waiting to see him. They have not seen him since the day he said, come forth. And so when they hear he's coming to town, here they come to finally see it. So most of it, a huge portion of it is people from Bethany who love him. And then other people who are curious. It's a, it's a huge crowd of people and there's yelling and there's screaming like, here comes your king. Here comes your king. And the disciples are like, yeah, he's going to be so happy. We pulled this off. This is amazing. And all of a sudden they look over at Jesus and he breaks down crying and he is just weeping and they're like are those happy tears I don't and Jesus looks at Jerusalem and he just starts weeping and saying if only you would have known if only you would have known and here the party is kind of killed he kind of kills the mood a little bit he gets all the way into Jerusalem and the Bible says, if you read through the four gospels, which you have to compare all of them to get the full story of this week. But I love this because one of the authors, I believe it's Mark, tells us this, that when he gets there, first of all, it says the whole city is stirred. They are shaken. All right, so he's already stirring things up. People are not happy that he's coming in saying he's the king. He's gonna mess up their big festival, their big week. They are not happy with him coming. And it also says this, that Jesus, before he goes to bed, he decides to make a stop at the temple. It's the only gospel that says it. And it says that he goes into the temple and it says he looks around at everything. And then he's like too late. And he decides it's too late and he goes home. Too late for what you ask? I'm glad you ask. Because now it's Monday. Monday morning, Jesus wakes up with his disciples and he's like, hey guys, come on, let's go. But he just wakes up like, Jesus just wakes up like ready to start something because of whatever he saw last night, he just wakes up like I wish a Pharisee would try and step to me today. And he comes 
He, Jesus is just like, he wakes up just like ready to get into something. The disciples don't know what's happening. Peter lets us in on a small detail that on the way to the temple, Jesus was hungry and he stopped at a tree and there was no fruit and that he got really mad and cursed the thing. So I think Peter wants to let us know. In addition, Jesus was hungry, just so you know, he's angry, but he possibly is hangry here as well. Jesus gets to the temple, starts flipping tables. There's birds flying. He's angry. He starts, you know, telling them all they're doing the wrong thing. This is my father's house. You've made it a den of thieves. We see Jesus physically, it, it would seem physically stopping people from moving around with uh, these sacrificial animals to sell. So we see Jesus and he's here and he's at the temple and he's angry. He would not allow anyone to carry merchandise in the courts and he's angry. No one knows what to do. The disciples are like, yo, what is happening right now? What is going on? He stopped all of the sacrifices in the temple for like half a day. They are absolutely angry. And now here's all these like, these sick and the lame and the blind people. And they're watching Jesus. They're like, oh, he looks really mad. But I, you know, this is my last chance. Maybe he could heal me. And they're like, you know, when there's a double dutch and you're waiting for you when you jump in? And you're like, they're like, do we go now? Do we go now? And Jesus is like, it's okay. I'm not mad at you. Come here. And he starts, he goes from angry to healing the lie, the, the lame and the blind. And all of a sudden now he's gone from flipping tables to laying hands and lame people are getting up and walking and, and blind people are singing and children are singing Hosanna, Hosanna. And he has officially made the Pharisees and everyone else so mad at this point that they start pl plotting how they will kill him. They go home. The disciples are like, oh my goodness, thank God that's over. They wake up Tuesday like, so I'm so glad that's over. And Jesus is like, huh. they're like, where are we going today? He's like, yeah, we're going back. I'm sorry, what? Yeah. We're going back to the same, we're gonna go back to the same temple. And they're like, oh man, Peter's like, somebody bring snacks. Just please bring snacks for Jesus. I they get to the temple and today's not like that. He's not flipping tables. He's not angry. This is the preacher, Jesus. He gets there. And, and uh, as soon as he gets there, they start questioning, who do you think you are? Who's your authority? And he pre pretty much tells them, look, this is my house, not yours. And I don't need your permission to be here. Um, I know where my authority comes from. And he starts preaching. And when I tell you this is the last sermon Jesus will ever preach, he preaches his guts out. This is his manifesto. He is leaving nothing unsaid. He is throwing jabs left and right at these people. And he preaches so hard at a certain point, he needs a little bit of a water break. And he sits down to rest in between between his sermons and at this point when he's just taking a breath he looks over and he calls his disciples and he says you see that offering happening over there and this is the point when he sees the woman all the rich people dropping their big offerings and he says forget about them you see what she just gave that means more to me than everyone else because remember he's trying to still plant the seed of his church inside of them and tell them what matters to him and so he sees her in this moment on these his last days and then he gets back up and he finishes preaching and then he goes home that was his last sermon. Can you imagine the emotions he's processing? Last day in church, last message. Disciples wake up, it's Wednesday, and they're holding their breath. Like this has been eventful because now after last night, the chief priests are having private meetings and discussing how are they going to kill him? Because their only question is this, how do we kill this people without his people killing us? Because the, the government feared the people of God. They feared what God's people and who loved him might do. So now they're just plotting how. So Jesus wakes up Wednesday and they're like, Jesus, what are we gonna do today? And he's like, yeah, we're gonna hide. We're gonna stay quiet and we're gonna hide. And Jesus moves quietly on Wednesday and he will die on Friday. 
And Wednesday night, we find someone hosting a dinner for Jesus. And we believe it's probably the father of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, but we're not sure. All we know is this is a quiet, private dinner by invite only because now they're looking for Jesus. The disciples are there, and so is Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And it seems like it's a dinner that's been thrown to thank him because he disappeared and peaced out after he raised him from the dead. And so now they're finally like, thank you for like, not letting me die or stay dead. And so they're here to throw this dinner in honor of Jesus. And everyone else is caught up in the meal. And all he can think about, all Jesus can think about is how he's about to die. And he's having his memories and is taking deep breaths. And, and in this moment when no one else understands, Mary comes out. The brother of Lazarus, overwhelmed with her gratitude for Jesus, and she takes this, this oil that is worth a year's wages, and she goes to Jesus, and she pours it over his head, and she starts to anoint him. The Bible says this would be for his burial, so it is a somber and emotionally moving moment for Jesus. This is a very powerful moment. He is being valued as he ought to be, but was not often. He is given the honor he deserves, and suddenly someone in the room cannot allow that moment to happen. This man called Jesus, who Jesus called Judas, who walked with Jesus for all these years, sees this, and instead of being connected to the moment, he is angry, and he's like, what a waste. Jesus is having this moment, and he's mad that they're wasting something that costs so much. So Jesus stands up, you know, oil, just down, he's just greasy, just dripping oil. The scene is so much better to imagine when you really think about it. He's just dripping, and he's like, you're going to ruin this moment for me, Judas? And he looks at Judas, and he's like, he tells Judas, leave her alone. And he publicly rebukes Judas. And how humbling it would be for Jesus to walk with people who don't really even know what he's worth. Who would, who would have a, a greater value for something, an oil that he made than they do for the one who made it who would find him to be less worthy than things that he has made to be less valuable. And there's, there's, there's Jesus dripping in oil, just like his daddy David, anointed in the presence of his brothers, and his brothers are mad. And only they're not mad just because he's been anointed, but they're anointed, he's been anointed with a better oil. And so Judas doesn't like that he's being treated unordinary, and he's being wasted. This is being wasted on Jesus. So Judas is so mad, Jesus publicly rebukes him. And it is in this moment when and Judas becomes so offended. He's so offended at this offering and at Jesus' public rebuke that he leaves. And one gospel tells us that this is when Satan entered Judas' heart because offense always makes room for Satan to enter your heart. And it is this moment when Judas decides to go sell out Jesus and initiates the betrayal of our Savior. He doesn't respond, he initiates. And he says, hey, I hear you're looking for a guy and I'm willing to give him up for you and it is for 30 pieces of silver, which the book of Exodus tells us is the price of a slave. And just to give you a point of reference, he sells Jesus for 30 pieces of silver and the anointing oil she just offered him worth more than 25 times what Judas sold Jesus out for. And so now Jesus is a dead man walking and rulers are walking around everywhere. Has anyone seen this Jesus? And Judas is like, I've seen him. And now Jesus is essentially on his way to die and it's only a matter of time. It's Thursday. Jesus will die on Friday. And he wakes up in the morning 
And there is one last thing that Jesus wants to do. Mark 14, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go to prepare the meal for you? So Jesus sent two of them into Jerusalem with these instructions. As you go into the city, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. And at the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? And he will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. So the two disciples went into the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. In the message, I love how these two verses read. When it was time, he sat down, all the apostles with him, and said, you have no idea how much I have looked forward to eating this meal with you before I enter my time of suffering. It's the last one I'll eat until we eat it all together in the kingdom of God. Jesus has this one last thing that he wants to do. And the disciples come, and it would be, it would be complicated for Jesus to move around openly anyway because he's a wanted man. There would be, there was, you know, the city's hectic and crazy everywhere already. There would be guards posted on walls to make sure that riots don't break out. And they've probably also been told now to keep their eyes out for Jesus. It would be complicated. So they say, where do you want us to go? There's no safe place. Where do you want us to go? And somehow Jesus has already prearranged because he has decided so much that he will not die before dinner. And so he has prearranged somehow a dinner. All the disciples are there like, where are you going? And Judas is there too. So Judas is like, yeah, where are you going? Because I'm supposed to find out and tell you. So Jesus, Jesus says, I'm not going to tell you exactly where because Judas is standing here and I'm not ready to die. I won't die before dinner. And so he tells these two disciples, Peter and John, to go ahead. And there's like this secret code. It's like a movie thing. There's going to be a guy following, carrying a pitcher of water. You follow him to a house. When you get to the house, you tell him the teacher is here and wants to know where is my room, your room. Jesus, this is weird language. Everything is kind of cryptic. It's, it's very strange because Jesus has prearranged this dinner. So the two disciples go and they set it up for them. And then when they get there, they all come together because Jesus has decided this dinner means everything. Everything. After 33 years, there's still a few things he wants to say. There's still a few things that he wants to show them. There's still a few things that have to be done because just like his daddy, David, he has decided that he will not die till he's done. The book of Acts says that David, only after he had accomplished the will of God in his generation, then he died. And Jesus has died, decided that I will die, but I will die done. And so he needs this dinner. Why, why, why? We wanna, I wanna finish with this dinner. We need to look at this dinner. The disciples have no idea how significant this will be because this feast happens every year and usually at this feast it's the communion and there was a reminder of how as hey we tell the story of of when we were slaves in Egypt and and God rescued us out and so we eat this bread and we remember the bread we were able to take out and still eat and we remember the manna and here's a cup of wine and we remember the blood of the lambs and the sacrifices and Jesus is now going to change the entire story of this night the disciples walk in expecting one very specific dinner to happen in one specific way. And as soon as they get there, Jesus lets them know that this is not going to be a Passover like normal because this is a new normal. Now, can you imagine Jesus' face at this dinner knowing this is his goodbye? And one of the very first things he says is, you guys have no idea how much I've wanted to have this dinner. And at this dinner, so many significant things happened. This was his last wish. 
And we will hear later his last prayers to God, but his last wish from people was that they would make way for him to have this last dinner. And there's no way to relive the entire night, but I want to remind us of a few significant things happening. I want you to imagine a table. It's not a high table. It's a lower table in the shape of like a U. And at the front would be Jesus, and they would all be reclined. So they sit low, and they have their feet up and out to the left, so there's some space in between them, right? It's a U-shaped table. We don't know who sat where exactly, but we know it seems obvious from the fact that John was leaning on Jesus that he would have had a seat of honor by Jesus, and which was right by him. And we also see later Jesus dipping in the same bowl as a man called Judas. And it would appear that Judas has been given a seat of honor as well. And so here's Jesus, Judas, John, and all of them about to have dinner in this U-shape. They are reclined. And Jesus is saying, look, I know you guys look really confused because we've also said, we've always said that this cup means one thing, but from here on out, you need to know something. This is not the blood of a lamb. This is my blood, which is spilled for you. And this, this has always meant one thing to you, but this is my body, which is broken for you. And he's changing the whole entire content of this dinner. He is giving them a new story because if somebody doesn't retell this story, if we don't set something in motion that will be retold time and time, then everything I do will be for nothing because the story will get diluted and it will get lost along the way. And there will become a generation who does not fully understand what I've done on the cross. So I have to start today what will happen at Embassy City at Church in 2021 when they take a bread and a wine and they remember this moment so I'm starting something new it is a new story that you will tell and it is going to mean something totally different he says stuff to them like this he says you are those who have stood by me in my trials why is he saying this he knows that every single one of them will run away and he wants them to remember later I already knew that you would do this, but that's not how I see who you are. Who you are is those who have stood by me in my trials, and I don't define you by what you're about to do. You are those who have stood by me in my trials. He says to Peter this. He says, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. You don't understand this in English until you read it in its original language, but the first you, Satan, Satan, or Peter, Satan has desired to sift you, is plural. He's saying Satan has asked for all of you. Uh, but then he says, but I have prayed for you, and this you is singular. And what Jesus is saying to Peter, because Jesus knows they're all going to leave, but Peter's going to outright just dog him out. And he knows how Peter is wired, and he's saying, Peter, I already know that you're going to pray, but I, or that you're going to fail me, but I've already prayed that when you fail, your faith won't. Peter, when you are done, you are going to hate yourself. You're going to feel like you can't get back up, but I want you to remember this moment. I already knew, and I have chosen you. I have prayed for you. I know you'll fail, but please, Peter, don't let your faith fail. I've got a church to build on your back, Peter. Don't let shame destroy you. I need you to remember that I have prayed for you. 
And in the middle of all your shame, you will remember that I already knew. He tries to express to them how intense things are gonna be. He says stuff like, in the past, you've had to, I've told you, don't even pack a bag and don't bring a sword, but things are getting crazy now. You're gonna bring a sword and you're gonna need a bag. And, and he's not talking literal really about swords, but of course, Peter takes it literal, takes a sword, cuts off a guy's ear. In fact, when they say, well, Jesus, we got two swords, Jesus goes, that's enough. And he shuts them down, but they still have not figured out the difference between when he's talking literal or figurative or, or spiritual but he's letting them know it's going to be different, guys. You're going to need to fight from here on out as I'm not with you. And at some point, he stuns them with the news that one of you, the boys that we've walked together, slept together, ate together, been hungry together, cried together, laughed together, it will be one of you that betrays me. And they are in absolute shock. And one at a time, they start going up to Jesus and going, it's not me, Lord. Surely not I. And Judas sees that everybody else is doing this. And so he can't, he doesn't want everybody to, it to be obvious it's him. So he has the nerve to actually go to Jesus himself and go, surely it's not I, Jesus. And Jesus is like, yeah, it's you. And he must have said it privately, right? And quietly because the other disciples still don't get it. The Bible says that when Jesus just dismisses Judas, that they think he just went to like buy something because he was the guy who held the money. They don't even, they still don't understand what had happened. Jesus still didn't expose him. And you know what? This is why I will never understand why people leave a church when they get hurt by people because I understand you dealt with Judas, but you can trust Jesus with Judas. I mean, you, tell me, I will never understand it because I know, yeah, yeah, Judas, 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 but what about you and Jesus? What about Jesus? And I know there's been some Judas, but you don't have to go troll him on Instagram or anything else because Judas will expose himself and you don't gotta kill Judas. Judas will kill himself. You can trust Jesus with Judas. So somehow they, they don't understand, but Judas is about before, before Judas can even have a chance to leave, Jesus stops the party and does something even more humbling. And they start fighting about who's gonna be the greatest. And Jesus says, that's enough. And he gets up and he says, I need a basin of water. And somebody get me a towel and the hold up. I need to pause the scene and tell you about foot washing in these days. Foot washing, feet were disgusting back then. They still are, but they were really bad back then. <laughs> Dirty, and it was ceremonial. If you entered someone's house, feet washing would only be done by the servants and the slaves. And if they had any option, it would not even be a servant who was an Israelite because they would not even want any covenant person, even a servant, to suffer such humiliation, to wash feet. So when Jesus gets up and he's prepared to wash feet, the, the disciples are absolutely horrified, like absolutely not Jesus. No, and it's in slow motion. They cannot believe what he's about to do. Not Jesus, you can't do this. And it says Jesus got up and he took off of his outer garment. And if glory was a garment, he took it off. He threw it on the place where he sat and said, I don't need to wear this to know who I am. And he said, pass me a towel. And he took the towel of a servant like he did in the beginning and he tied it around his waist and he knelt and they're like no 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 and Peter's like not me Lord not mine not mine and Jesus says to him Peter if I don't wash your feet I got you won't be clean and Peter's like I don't really get it but um if that's the case like I need a whole bath just like get in there Jesus like a whole bath clean everything and he's washing their feet and of all the people He's washing even the feet of Judas. 
And when he's done, he had decided he came in low. He was going to leave like he came, like a servant wrapped in a towel, his glory like a garment resting on the seat where he threw it because Jesus did not need it to know who he was. And Jesus taught them so many things. And if you ever wonder how much glory Jesus left to come here, I just want you to remember that, that John, who was so comfortable with Jesus, he's just leaning on his shoulder when he sees Jesus in all of his glory. In the book of Revelation, it says he falls at his friend Jesus' feet as though he was dead. And that's how much glory left Jesus left to come to earth. And Jesus in these hours tells them how overwhelmed he is with sorrow even into death. He took one last look across the table and he sees the wine spilt and he swallows hard, his face still set. Because he knows what that wine represents. And he knows that this is goodbye and he is processing all of these emotions. He looks one last time across the table and sees these men who he has loved so much. And he knows how hard it will be for them. He looks across the table one last time and he sees us because everything he's about to do is to make room at that table for us. Can you imagine what would have happened without that dinner? And as the band comes back, I just want us, I believe sometimes scripture is ambiguous to make us curious. I want us to ask some, some questions of this text. Can you imagine what would have happened? Would, would we take communion today if he died before dinner? Would the story have been told over? Would the gospel message have been diluted or would we still have it? Would Peter have been able to recover from the shame of abandoning Jesus and built the church? Would the disciples if they had not seen Jesus wash their feet, would they get so caught up in the competition of church instead of keeping the purity? If, if he had not traumatized them with the image of him washing feet, would they have been so competitive that they never accurately built the church? Would, would Peter have ever preached that first message where thousands of people came to Jesus? Oh, how significant this dinner was. And then I started to ask this question, wait, dinner that was Jesus' last wish, how did this dinner even happen? I mean, he's a wanted man. How did he find hours of rest to be able to do and say every last thing he wanted to do and say? And then I remembered, <laughs> I remembered that secret code. A man carrying a water jar. Men don't carry water jars in this day. Something reserved only for women. So it would have been obvious to the disciples, if you see a man carrying a water jar, you don't see that. So somebody had humbled themselves. It would be humiliating for a man to carry a water jar. And a man has humiliated himself. And they follow him to a house where someone has already said, they say it's already ready because Jesus has already talked to us. And then I realized that everything Jesus wanted, this whole last wish is because somebody we don't know who, but someone risked everything to make room for Jesus. Somebody who was wealthy enough to have an upper room risked all of their wealth to harbor a fugitive, to let Jesus hide 
and have a place. And they did not even understand all the significance of what he would do in this dinner, but none of it would have happened if they didn't make room. And so I start to think, you guys can begin, that's fine. I start to think about things like, I wonder like, were they there when Jesus came? And Jesus knocks on the door. Were they, were they waiting for him? Like, has anybody seen Jesus? Has anyone seen Jesus? He's coming tonight. Were they there? And I wonder what if they got to actually see Jesus? Like right before his face is disfigured and the flesh is ripped from him, did they see it? Did they hear the commotion of the disciples arguing and then hear Jesus call, somebody get me a towel? Did they ever wash his scent off of that towel? Were they there when Judas suddenly frantically ran out and looked like he just saw a ghost? Were they there? Did they see the disciples who came in one way, leaving so distraught that in just a couple of hours, their eyes will be so heavy they will fall asleep on Jesus from grief? Did they see them leave and, and see the tears? Did they look in the eyes of Jesus? What did his face look like right now? Did they get to see, did they get to touch his body, embrace him? And I wanna know, did anybody, did anybody take this moment to look him in his eyes and say, thank you? Did they get to see Jesus? Did anyone tell them they loved him? And did Jesus at some point turn around to the person and say, hey, I know this was risky, and I just wanna say thank you for making room. You have no idea what this night meant to me. Did the rulers, when Judas went to bring them to Jesus, did they come by this house first? Banging on the door and saying, hey, has anyone here seen Jesus? Did they search through their house and turn it apart, trying to find if Jesus was really still there? Has anyone seen Jesus? Did they look around their house for the rest of their life and remember all the places that nobody knows Jesus had touched? Did they leave that room the same? and imagine, were they still alive to go to church one day and someone open up a letter 30, 40 years later, the gospel of Luke or, and did they sit there and hear their story and get to understand on this side of heaven what happened just because they made room? Or did they not know until heaven? And all I know is that everything that happened that night, Jesus' last wish, only happened because somebody made room for Jesus. And when Jesus stood knocking on the door, even though it had become so risky, they let him in. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will share a meal with you. Jesus 
in the closing of scripture, a letter to a church. And I know you've heard that verse as an altar call, but that is not Jesus knocking on the door of a sinner's heart. The context of this letter is it's written to a church in Laodicea that is a lukewarm church. And he comes to this church and says, I wish you would be either hot or cold because you are lukewarm. I will spit you out of my mouth because you are in between and you're still coming to church and playing church, but finding fulfillment in your wealth. And it paints a picture of Jesus. He says, because you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. I almost see Jesus running out of that church, just nauseous and then turning around and it says, behold, I stand at the door and knock because someone was still having church without Jesus and they were shouting over the knocking and they were dancing over the knocking and they didn't even know that Jesus had left. It is possible to have church and not realize that Jesus is not even there. It is possible. And they're like, I hear, I hear a noise. What's that noise? And someone's like, I don't know. It looks a little bit like Jesus, but I mean, he wouldn't be outside the door. Has anyone seen Jesus? Has anyone seen Jesus? And at a certain point, they realize he's standing outside the door. And this is what he's saying. If you would let me in, I will come and have a meal with you. In other words, you have been inviting me to a show, but what I really want is dinner. Has anyone seen Jesus, we all get to die one day. We don't have to stay here forever. And when we get to heaven, we will find Jesus. But in his presence, in these moments, we have an opportunity now. And I wanna ask you this, what would happen if you really made room for this Jesus? And I know life is busy and I know life is hectic, but I wanna ask you, could you do more? Like, could you make more space for Jesus in your life because you have no idea what could happen if you made room for Jesus? Jesus, I declare that we are not a church that leaves you standing outside the door. Lord, we are a church who sees you, who wants to see you more. We are a church who makes room for you. And I pray today that by your spirit, you have painted a picture of the eyes of Jesus for us and that we will not lose Jesus on the way home from church. Forgive us for the times and the ways we've had where we have moved on and, and just forgotten. Forgive us for opening our scriptures and just trying to find ourselves in another character rather than opening the scriptures to find your face. Jesus, remind us, your church, who you are. Help us to really see you open the eyes of our hearts that we could see you, that we could find you, Lord. Has anyone seen Jesus? I pray that today we would say, yes, we see you. We love you and we honor you. We love you, Lord. 
We make room for you, Lord. Oh, Jesus, we make room for you. Jesus in this moment, what do you want to say to him? And as they sing one song and Ryan comes, I want you to say to Jesus the one thing that you want to say when you see his face. Thanks for listening today. If this message spoke to you in any way, please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and leave a review too. We would like to connect with you. For past messages, updates, and more, please visit embassycity.com. You can watch live on Sundays and view past messages on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash Church. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Embassy Irving. If you'd like to support more of what we're doing, you can give online at embassycity.com or text embassycity, all one word, to 77977. We pray you have a great week. Thanks for listening today.